What's the latest, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life. Devin Ublin and Ronnie Flores here with you for episode number 93. Ronnie, we got a, a, a solid show today. We're going to talk a little bit about James Harden and his new digs with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, we're going to talk the NIBC St. James Invitational standouts from this past weekend. And we're going to talk your latest Fab 50 national rankings update. But our main topic um, today, Ronnie, our in the paint topic is going to be on the resurgence of sports trading cards um, and how that market is now kind of booming. We're going to bring on a buddy of mine, Noe Magdaleno. He's an owner. He's the owner of Vice LTD, Vice's LTD in Denver, Colorado, and he's deep into the card game, Ronnie. And um, I, I'm we're gonna we're gonna go into James Harden first, but I want I'm when we get there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get your take on you know uh, what it was like when you were a kid collecting cards, and then we're gonna kind of compare and contrast with Noe and the new age stuff that's going on. So let's break into James Harden, Ronnie. He is officially a member of the Brooklyn Nets and is already paying dividends because they won their first two games um, with Harden and Durant teamed up like the old days in Oklahoma City. But uh, Kyrie Irving haven't, hasn't played yet, Ronnie. First off, what are your initial thoughts on the trade? And then how is Kyrie Irving going to mix in with all of this? There's only one basketball. Let's remind everybody, there's only one basketball available on offense. Yeah, I mean, my first thoughts is James Harden, obviously a great player. So you knew that was going to be, wasn't going to be an issue. Like he was going to, oh, he's going to tank it. He's going to. You know, oh, he's going to uh, not fit in. A good basketball player is a good basketball player. I'd rather play with two other good basketball players than two shitty basketball players. <laughs> For sure. Rather if they can grab, you know, what their, their style doesn't matter. If they're good, they're good. So, obviously, there's some adjustment, but still, I'd rather play with talented players. So, that's not part's not surprising. I think the part people overlook a little bit is he's been pretty durable. During this run of his, like, scoring, he pretty much shows up every game. We've talked about it before on the pod. I know he wanted out of Houston, but, you know, I, I didn't think that was going to be like, oh, he's going to act like a long-term, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, act like a long-term douche. You know what I mean? It just didn't seem like it. Like, he seems like he likes to play. And he's obviously a great player. Now, with Kyrie Irving, you know, how is that going to work? I would say... It hasn't worked in yet. We've talked about it, whether it's Steve Nash with his teams, a little bit with the Houston teams. It just hasn't worked. Now, maybe they have a different approach in the playoffs. I think that's what everybody's going to be interested in, see like how they do it deeper in the playoffs, like by the conference semifinals, let's say. They yeah. should win the first round matchup. Like that's all everybody's going to care. This is all nice shits and giggles. This looks nice. You know, he's gonna have, they're going to have big games, but how's it really going to work? like when it really matters. I think that's ultimately what makes this season kind of interesting now. You know, it makes it a little more interesting, I think. Um, obviously, you've got the Bucks there that that's, can still, you know, they can they can still do damage in the East. I'm not sure what's happening. What happened to Toronto? They just kind of like fell off the map. Yeah, so um, obviously Toronto lost, you know, Kawhi Leonard on off the yeah. championship team. And then I, I guess – Pascal Siakam was supposed to be kind of the next in line to step up and take over that yeah. go-to yeah, guy. Yeah. And, and, you know, based on what's happening now, it hasn't worked out, but yeah, with Kyrie entering the fold with a Kevin Durant, who, you know, he's the one guy on that team who can play without the ball or play sure. spot up shooter, 
um, create in isolation, move without the ball. He, he can do that. James Harden, obviously, as we've seen, he, he really likes to have the ball in his hands and sure. be, be the initiator of the offense and be the creator of the offense. And then you look at Kyrie Irving, what does he like to do, Ronnie? He likes to dribble the air out of the basketball. <laughs> He's good yeah. at doing it. He's doing it good and good, good at doing it though. Because we mean you see a lot of guys that dribble there out of the basketball. Here's the thing. Really- Here's the thing. We see a lot of guys who dribble too much, right? Yeah. They don't go anywhere or don't do anything. Yeah. Kyrie Irving's the opposite of that. He dribbles too much, but he gets shit done. So, yeah. I it's mean, it's a very interesting dynamic because I think James Harden is the best playmaker. Best playmaker, obviously, of the two guys that are quote unquote scores, and and we've seen Kyrie play off the ball. He's, he's done it before. Okay, I with mean, LeBron. With LeBron and Cleveland. LeBron. So is, is, you know, does the other two guys attract that much respect and that much attention? I think so, especially yeah. if it's James. James can really create. I mean, he, he really can. So I think KD's kind of the guy, but KD might be the best scorer of the bunch. Yeah, he's for, no, he's for sure the best scorer of the bunch. It's just like you have two all-time scorers. It's just pretty amazing that they're on the same team. It's pretty crazy how... Basically, we've kind of talked about in the LeBron James era of, of him starting to dominate the league in the late 2000s, going into 2010 or whatnot. Like, it's it's every superstar kind of gets what he wants. What superstar hasn't got what he wants? I guess CP3 with the Lakers. That was like the only thing I could think of where it's like a really big time star didn't kind of quote unquote get what he wanted. Yeah. I guess the Laker fans are still salty about that. You know? I'm a, so I'm a Laker fan and I can, I'm not salty about it, but I can tell you that. Laker fans are salty about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you look at like a guy like Tim Duncan, and he didn't really, he didn't really, they didn't really rely on a big trade or a big free agent acquisition. They built through the draft with you know uh, European players. Um, obviously, obviously, he he he, got, he fell into some luck being drafted to the Spurs, which already had David Robinson. Correct. They weren't the worst team in the league. Sean Elliott, uh, yeah. you know, a bunch of good players. Andrew Johnson. Avery Johnson, a bunch of good players. It's already a well-built team. And then they just built around once Robinson retired, they built around Duncan through the draft and through, you know, I guess just regular solid free agent signings. But yeah, I mean, James Harden, it, it was clear from the get-go he wanted out of Houston, especially when Daryl Morey left because yeah. guy kind of the guy who, you know, put the ball in his hands and said, here you go. The, the keys are yours. This is your team and do what you want. And James did. And he, Scored a lot. He assisted a lot. And, you know, I guess it was time for them to move on. But is are the Nets now the favorite um, in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I think by default, they got to be. I mean, like in their mind, they got to think if we don't get to the finals. What are we? Seems like they mortgaged a lot. And, and obviously Harden was going to go somewhere. So they're like, hey, we could we can make this work. You got to remember when you get a player, every 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 GM, every coach. I would say even me and you, to an extent. Obviously, we're not in that position, but everybody thinks they're the person that can make it work, right? Like, so the Nets are like, we'll make it work. You know, they're front of we we're different than X, Y, and Z team. We'll make it work. Yeah. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. You know. You know what people are going to say if they don't get it to the finals. Oh, I knew these three scores couldn't work. Like, you know, the, the Twitter world is going to explode. This wasn't going to work. How stupid are the Nets, you know? How, how, you quick, how quick will Steve Nash get blamed? Rookie coach? How quick? 
Yeah, I mean, who else is there to blame? The owner, the owner ain't gonna fire himself, you know. So it's it's one of those things. Like, you know, we'll see what what Brooklyn do. I think people are excited. New York fans are excited. They don't have a lot to be excited over. How's our guy Obi Toppin doing? So off, the, off the, you know, just kind of yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. We can yeah, we can jump into that. I, for to to finish off the the Brooklyn Nets point, they have to be the favorite. Yeah, in the conference. Just looking at what happened in Milwaukee last season. Yeah, they up, I mean, they upgraded defensively a little bit with Drew Holiday, but how much of an upgrade is that really in the in the grand scheme of things? When you look at Kyrie Irving, James yeah. Harden, and Kevin Durant on the same basketball team, it's kind of like uh, I think CJ McCollum said it. Maybe somebody else. Oh, you know, I feel bad for him. He got hurt too the, within the last few days. He was playing really good ball, but uh, for the for the Blazers, he's like saying, and like you said about Drew Holiday. When you think of like, especially a Kevin Durant, Rick Barry, Larry Bird, those type of level scores, James Harden, like nobody really stops them. They just kind of like miss shots here and there. You know what I mean? Or they have a bad game. So you're right. It's like, yeah, I don't think Drew Holiday's. What is, I mean, what's he gonna do? You know, just guard all three of them. Like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like it's a little bit of not of a moot point because he obviously makes a difference. He's a great player, but these guys are so good offensively. The best players in the world are so good offensively. I mean, every NBA player is so good. If you watch them up close, they are that good. But especially the, those tier one guys. So to your point, they uh, they got to be the favorite. And what do they do? You know, I think people are just going to be interested to see how it plays out. Like, does that just going to work for them? Don't matter their defensive level. Doesn't matter the... The plus minus, none of that shit that we talk about, that, that the Twitter heads talk about. Just these guys are going to score and score and ball, and that's just it. I mean, right. is that going to work? We're going to find out. It's going to be interesting. The big question mark was, okay, you bring James Harden in. Uh, what is the defense going to look like? I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters what the defense looks like because they can put 150 points on the board. So, yeah. uh, you know, if you – in the NBA, especially with the spacing and, you know um, – the, the way that it's officiated and, uh, you know, freedom of movement and they want, you know, more up-tempo offensive style of games. You look at those three guys and that's exactly what they do. They put pressure on the defense in transition. They put pressure on the defense in, in the half court and they can space it out because James can shoot. Kyrie can shoot a little bit. And Kevin Durant is one of the best shooters the game has ever seen. Right. So, and then you got, you know, you forget about their, their complimentary pieces like Joe Harris. He's a big time shooter. So you have those guys all spacing the floor, dude, and playing. <laughs> I mean, you, like you said, you just hope that all three of them have an off game at the same time. And I just, I don't see that being something that happens. All three of those guys, you know, having a game where they go, you know, five for 16 from the field or whatever it may be. I would just think the only thing historically I see or like as comparison is, you say that the Golden State, how they want offensively, you know, a fast break, kick it to the three-point shooter, which we didn't really see before then. We're like, even me, I was like at times like, that's a bad shot. Now, sometimes they make it, sometimes they, they made it, but they won with it. But then you forget how uh, important, like you said, their complimentary pieces were mainly Draymond Green. It's almost like he's almost like a Hall of Fame complimentary piece. Do the Nets have that? Again, they don't have a Draymond Green, but do they have anything like that? That's what. That's a really great question. Yeah, uh, I mean, even you look at those those Golden State Championship teams, and Draymond Green was obviously the um, K 
catalyst as the role guy or the dirty work guy. Yeah. Look at a guy like Andrew Bogut. And he was, he was great for them passing, rebounding. Yeah. Just doing his job. A little bit of rim protecting, just doing his job. And you look at, you look at the nets you look at that roster. Um, you, you traded away Jared Allen, the, you know, the best big man on the roster. So now you're starting Deandre Jordan. Um, and then you, you, you're curious about depth because Spencer Dinwiddie is injured. Yeah. Uh, traded Karis Levert, who's a rising star. Hopefully he's able to, um, you know, get that issue taken care of. Uh, I believe he had an MR or a, some kind of body scan and it showed that he had a mass on his, um, on his kidney. And hopefully it's, it's nothing. And he's able to get back on the court ASAP. Um, but you look at that roster and that's kind of the question, Ronnie, is the depth. And in the playoffs, as you know, once you get deeper and deeper, the depth becomes more important and the role players become more important. Um, and that's kind of the, that's, I think that's where the biggest worry is not so much with how you're going to share the basketball. I think they'll figure out a way to do that. I think the biggest issue is depth with that Nets roster. And that's an issue with a lot of rosters in the Eastern conference, Ronnie, um, because they're, they're top heavy. They're, they're top heavy. Yeah, and then we got all the issues with the, sh- you know, the shorten off season and games canceled and not enough roster protocols for, it's just going to, it is going to wear on people. People aren't getting hurt. Kind of we, like me and you predict, there's going to be, unfortunately, there's going to be some more injuries. Mm-hmm. I think so. I hate to say it. You know, you don't want to, I'm not saying there's going to be anybody individually, but you know, there is. So just a lot of it is a little bit of an element of luck. So be very interesting to see how that plays out. You know, be interesting to see how our uh, rookies are playing out. The guys we like, we don't like. I, I really like James Wiseman. I, you know, again, we'll see what he's doing and how that works out long term for the Warriors. But yeah, how, back to our thing. How's our guy Obi Toppin doing? Uh, so he, yeah. he, played, he played really well in the first game of the season, Ronnie, and then he got hurt. Oh wow! And he was out. <laughs> yeah, he was out for a few, a few, <laughs> a few weeks. But he's back now, coming off the bench, and he's playing pretty well. So. But putting up double figure scoring, putting up, you know, seven, eight rebounds, um, some highlight plays. So he's playing well. And and to your point with James Wiseman, I think he's fitting in nicely with Golden State and kind of does what, you know, he, his skill set is kind of what they need. Guy who can you yeah. know, run, run, pick and roll, uh, spread the floor a little bit with a jump shot and, you know, finish around the basket. And he runs the floor well. So I, I think what he brings to that team is exactly what they needed, even though, LaMelo Ball is playing really, really good basketball. Um, and I think, yeah. especially with Clay Thompson's injury again, and we don't know exactly how he's going to recover and what you know capacity he's going to come back at, you put LaMelo Ball with, with Steph Curry um, long-term or however long Steph plays, right? And that's kind of a backcourt of the now and the future. It, yeah. You know, Hindsight's 2020, as we like to say, but looking back at it, Ronnie, I think you can find a big in the free agent market who can do similar things to what Wiseman does. Wiseman I does. Yeah. find a guy free agent wise that was available like Mello was in the draft to the Warriors. Um, so I think, I think hindsight, it, when we look back on it, I think we're going to be like, damn, the Warriors should have, should have taken LaMelo ball. Very interesting. That's a big statement because James Wiseman could be pretty good, but Mellow Ball could be pretty special. I think the the real pressure now is on the the Wolves. What are they doing with? He's Anthony he's Edwards? he's coming off the bench still. Interesting. He's coming off the bench still. And we talked about it, you know, a little bit. His just his core presence, you know, 
uh, game awareness. To me, as we talked about, it wasn't as good as Mallow's, regardless of where he was going to get drafted. So uh, very interesting points. And, you know, we'll have some more breakdowns of guys who we think are going to go are going to be future NBA players at the college and high school level in the future. Be looking out that for more of that. We, we kind of dabbled in that before this past 220 NBA draft, and we're definitely going to dabble in it for the 221 NBA draft. So um, what else are we going to talk about here? Dev money. I, we're talking about money now. Yeah. It was, as, a, as boys, it was kind of a, um, a hobby, but it was always about money, I think, in the back of our minds. I mean, I wish it was about money in the back of my mind when I was a kid, right? Because yeah. – you, you're a kid and your your trading card collection, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, a combination, it's just expansive. It's massive, right? You have those binders yeah. with those plastic inserts and you put the cards in there, right? And you don't really realize that potentially down the line, those cards could be worth a decent amount of money, a pretty penny. Yeah. Let, let me let me say what my take was on that. Yeah. And Football cards were a joke. I don't know if it's because of the way they looked. Okay. You didn't have an OJ. I just wanted the OJ Simpson rookie. That's it. But it wasn't had to do nothing with the trial. Just before that, I guess that was like the oldest card. You There wasn't – I don't really remember there being like a Bart Starr uh, rookie card or like, a, you know, Tom Fears from the 1940s. I don't remember anything that old. It was just like OJ came was like, dang, you want the OJ rookie. That was like the number one guy. Basketball was kind of like – teetering I, I don't think they had good designs like um and then jordan the jordan rookie came in was like well this guy's big in, in shoes like i don't know about basketball cards like i guess you know a, a keen and a sound investor said okay this guy jordan's gonna be bigger than anything let, let me get some of his cards but i think as a kid you still regardless of what the price is if you can get your hands on a a t Wagner, a mantle. You're gonna. I think ninety percent of the of the of the collectors, then, regardless of what sport they liked in real life, we're gonna go for that. I just that's what I think. You know, when you think about it, in hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, for me, I I should have said, you know, what, Jordan's gonna be bigger than anything. This shit, even though maybe basketball cards weren't to that level, and and grabbed a lot of those. Oh yeah, because um, I'm over here chasing a fucking rabbit. You know, I'm chasing, oh, let me try to get ahead of a Mantle or a Hank Aaron. It's like there's so much more scarce and they're not even as valuable. Right. You know, so but I love baseball cards because I just thought like, I, I mean, I, I I like Bob Cousy. I like those guys, Chet Greer. I, they're, they're great players, but like they're base, they're cards like, you know, um, Whitey Fords has seems, seems like a hell of a lot better card than Oscar Robinson. <laughs> Again, that's just as a fan. But obviously, you know, you look back at it now, I don't know. How are older basketball cards? It's just like forget all the old. To me, it's just like forget old Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. You would just you would have just invested in Jordan, 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 Jordan. You'd have something right now. Right. All you, the other shit is bullshit. To, to your point with Mickey Mantle, his yeah. rookie card. Yeah. Sold on for $5.2 million. Correct. And for a piece of cardboard, Ronnie. Well, the thing is, the mantle was always like the holy grove. You couldn't get a hold of the T. Wagner, Honus Wagner, I'm speaking of as a 1910 tobacco card that was sold in cigarette packs back then, over 100 years ago. How many are there? Even, I think, a Wagner uh, in really bad PSA condition, uh, four or or five or whatever it is, 
it's still a hell of a card. That's what I didn't understand about the basketball cards. And maybe I, I, I didn't really look at it, but Jordan, I said, there's so many of them. But I guess, especially during his first run, before he retired, it's like his memorabilia wasn't really to that level, as I recall. You know, obviously baseball cards were still, like there was baseball card shows all over malls, all over Southern California, Westminster Mall, Lakewood Mall. Westminster I, Mall. I used to I used to run that place, Ronnie. I used to run that place. Cruising for chicks at Westminster yeah. Mall was like – Oh, did I mention you should, do. Like, you should just bag them like nothing over oh, there. Yeah, for sure. I could see that, but it's funny. <laughs> I almost worked at the Westminster Mall one time. That was interesting. What store? It was a sporting goods store. And the guy asked me, I will never forget the question. He goes, do you know sports? I'm like, yeah, I know sports. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, because he probably gets a lot of dipsticks in there. You know what I mean? Just a lot of knuckleheads. Right. He's like, what team did Brett Favre get drafted by? I'm like, oh, the Falcons. Oh, he's like, okay, okay. <laughs> he was like, yeah, yeah, you can work here. You know, <laughs> but I never ended up working there. Pretty interesting. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, so again, our time, I'm thinking of, Tom Brady now because he's kind of like that guy in football. Dude, he could be going for his seventh Super Bowl this year, which is ridiculous. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. And are his cars like is Tom Brady have any rookie cars or any cars that are worth anything? I'm looking so I'm looking some stuff up right now, Ronnie, as we speak. Yeah, uh, on eBay. So uh, I'm looking, scrolling. Uh, 1986 Michael Jordan uh, rookie card, PSA eight grade. So for That's those who don't know. Grade. PSA grade goes from one to 10, 10 being the best. Sure. PSA, um, the listing price is 11,500. So a PSA. That's the one thing I really screwed up on, because I could have had a lot of those cards. Right. A PSA 6.5, which is a middle of the road condition. Like there's some issues with that one. Yeah. $9,100. Let me. Yeah, this, that's got out of control fast in the last five years. Whoa. It's like saying is like that's why we're gonna bring our guy Noe on. He's 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 in the game pretty good, pretty thick with the the trading card industry right now and, and the, the boom that's going on. Um and he yeah. does, he does these Instagram lives, Ronnie, where yeah. people join, right? And they buy boxes or packs. Yeah, cases or boxes. Right. He he opens them for them on IG Live. And like it's kind of like a it's like a uh like a show. Like an NBA draft lotto, like going Right, yeah, it's 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 dope the way that they do it. And when he comes on, he can he can go in deeper on that. But it's really cool how they do it. And the other night, Ronnie, I decided I'm like, screw it, I'm gonna buy a box just to see what it's like. So I bought a box and I hit six or seven rookie cards. I hit a John Morant, hit a Zion Williamson, um, and I hit a Roy Hachimura. And he has a big following right now because of uh, his Japanese heritage. Okay. So he has a big following. So I made my money back on those three cards alone on the, the price. Yeah, the rest of the boxes. Yeah. You already right. made your money back. Right. I got a Kobe white. And if Kobe white ends up being really good in the hall of famer, then that's a good hit, but it's not going to be known until down the line. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's just like, it's kind of like a, a long-term investment and a long-term stock play is kind of what it's like. Um, and it's really interesting how it's, how it's taken off. Let me, let me break up, bust open this Tom Brady action here. So 2000, yeah, Bowman. if his rookie year would have been 2000 or so. Yeah. So this this Bowman card, um, PS, PSA 10 gem mint, which is the top of the line, is 13,000. Not bad. Wow. Obviously, I think I think some of these price asking prices are a little inflated, so I don't think sure. I, 
it'll probably sell for less. Or maybe there's a supplement too, right? Like some of them have a gold seal or they have a, sign, a signature. Yeah, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different things like uh, hologram cards and hologram, yeah, things like that. But um, this looks like just a regular base card, Ronnie. Like nothing yeah. special about it. Um, well, very interesting. The hottest cards when we when I was a kid, and, and and it was taken off. I don't know if you remember this, Devin. There was the Beckett Monthly Magazine. Oh, yeah. I, I used to get that all the time and look up the prices for. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. the Beckett was like the standard gold standard, right? And they had their hot list and stuff. And it was like Don Mattingly and Jose Canseco for many years. And then it got into a little bit like Barry Bonds in the in the early 1990s. But uh, obviously it was Top Sphere Donruss. Then, then Upper Deck came in. And they had like a, a nicer looking card. And obviously that Ken Griffey Jr. card number one, I'll never forget in the 89 set. It's, it's a great card. I mean, because he's a rookie. He was going to – people thought highly of him. He, he had a great – uh disposition right everybody liked king griffey jr he's a really big star you know what i mean he's as big a star as i can think of anybody in baseball in the last quarter century for sure i mean the only reason his stardom took any sort of uh lapse or you know went down a little bit is because of injuries correct he didn't really like, yeah when he went to cincinnati which is his hometown right when he went to cincy cincy wasn't very good he just was kind of hitting bombs here and there and everybody was following mcguire and 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 bonds i mean when he was with when he was with seattle when he was young he was like zion williamson just to yeah. draw comparison to correct his stature was like back in the day he was he was big and that card was a great card and hopefully your guy can shed a little light on like what card companies are in because as when a real young kid it was only tops that people cared about tops yeah and there was a kind of a there was a lawsuit to to break into the industry i think tops wanted some kind of um, like uh, the reserve clause, kind of like baseball has a, a, a monopoly. It was a monopoly case, right? Okay. And then Donruss and Fleer came in 1981. And they, their cards weren't very good at the beginning. Then they cut back on production and made the card surface with the black surface a lot better. And okay. Fleer went with like, they just looked a lot. Tops had these wood grains and the bubble gum sometimes would uh, get stained and it wouldn't yeah, look yeah, too yeah. Yeah. They had an old, but I like the tops card and I like the way it felt. It was thicker, a little bit more durable. And the, the, the two hot cards at the time, again, like I said, late 80s, mid to late 80s, when the boom was happening, that was the first boom. Uh was an 84 Donruss Don Mattingly and an 86, 86 Donruss Canseco, rated rookie. Jose Canseco was big. I mean. Forty-four. He is just. just I mean, he bombs. like I know he hit bombs, but like, what else was it about him that he was just like a badass? He, I don't. He was dating Madonna. I oh, think people yeah. thought he was dating Madonna, so yeah. it's like, oh, Canseco's a badass. You know? <laughs> he just like he just had this. I don't know if his Latin thing. He was just maybe the Miami Vice thing kind of was going on with him. Like, okay. he was a Don Johnson. Miss, I'm cool, cooler than life kind of thing. I, you know, I don't know really. I'm trying to think what else it stemmed from. Obviously, the 40-40 was kind of trademarked pretty well. You know, 40 stolen bases, 40 home runs in a season. The Oakland A's were supposed to win the World Series. They were like right around until they ran into the Dodgers. You know, uh, rest in peace. Our guy, Tom Lasorda, just passed recently. Obviously, he's a great, iconic figure in baseball and, and in Los Angeles. So, yeah, uh, you know, I don't know why he was so big. But those two cards were big, and people were investing in them. People mm -hmm. invested – I don't know if you remember this player. He was kind of a minor league sensation. Greg Jeffries. 
He played for the for the Mets. He's from Sarah High, from same high school as, as Bond, Sarah San Mateo. Dude, people wanted his cards like crazy. I mean, they'd trade anything for it. I mean, damn near any star player for his card because of the rookie craze, right? So is it still a rookie craze industry? Like you got to have the rookie and the rest of the cards are, are secondary? Yeah, rookie cards are, are top of the line right now. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anything other than rookie, um, unless it's like signed or it's yeah, like a, a special edition. A one of 20 production, yeah. something like that. It's going to be even like you look at a base sign Williamson card, it's probably more than just some worth more than some run of the mill LeBron card, right? Yeah, it is. A base sign rookie is worth more than just like a LeBron card in a Laker jersey. Um, and that's just because, like you said, Ronnie, the rookie craze, people are are infatuated with what the potential could be with yeah. the player, right? And having the, the first card that comes out is um, makes it you know more valuable. So I'm looking at these Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards, Ronnie. Is that the 89 upper deck? 89 upper deck, number one. Yeah. One is one on here is listed for three thousand two ninety five. So that's a pretty good price, but not quite as much as uh, yeah. as a uh, the Tom Brady. Well, could, considering I think Devin again, I, I I'm not an expert on the prices for the last years, but I would say from nineteen ninety through let's say about ninety five, that card was still sixty dollars, eighty dollars. That was a hell of a card though. Like whoa, because the other cards in the set were eighty cents, a dollar. You know, so it was like man, that's a nice card, seventy five dollars. So for it to go to like three thousand or four thousand, if you have ten of them, that's a nice score. Oh, for sure, that's a. Huge and they weren't that hard to get. You okay. know, it wasn't you know, it wasn't that hard to get. That's the thing, dude. You mentioned like it, it wasn't that hard to get back then. Yeah. Because it produced, you know, quite a bit of them, yeah. and it was kind of a kids, kids, you know, collecting, yeah. you know, fun hobby to do. But now, you can't even like find a box of cards on Walmart or Target, and you go. Oh, to no go to a uh, uh, sports supply and demand uh, dynamics way different now. Yeah. You go, to, you go to like a card shop or a sports memorabilia store. You're going to pay like, like $600 for a box, Ronnie. Wow. Of, of new cards, new cards. Yeah. And what's the dominant company in basketball? So Panini, I think is making good cards. Yeah. Uh, Don Russ is still involved. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think upper deck is involved anymore. Um, but I think for, for, as far as a oh, prism, prism's big. Prism. In, yeah. Prism's big in the NFL. If you're kind of an older guy like me. You like tops. Obviously you think yeah. tops is the top dog for any, and then Fleer made some good cards. Like I said, and, and a wise man would have invested in, in Fleer basketball cards. Sure. But like I said, people, and I think it's a little bit of regionality too. Maybe if you're in Chicago or somewhere like that, where like basketball is a little bigger. I grew up in a Latino town. Basketball, like I told you before, basketball wasn't that big to many people. It just wasn't. So people were like, oh, I got to get that basketball card. Again, you know, I, I kind of knew Jordan was going to be valuable. I, I just thought his other memorabilia was going to be more valuable. And then, you know, so that there was a boom. Obviously, I don't, you know, we're going to compare and contrast the booms with our with our guests. And then there was a little bit of a bust, Devin, in about the mid-90s because there was score came in and you said upper deck. And then more companies came in, Panini, I think, and a few others, and it became a cluttered market and an overproduced market. Yeah. So you can see like a 1990 Tops or 91 Donruss set just sitting there on the shelf at Walmart for $8. The one going, 
it was too mass produced and people start picking up, okay, how valuable can my card be if I have a Wally Joyner or a Mark McGuire or a Barry Bonds, if there's all kind of them all over the Walmart, like you kind of figured, okay, this card's probably not going to be worth that much. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to like an 86 Donner's Conseco, this is not that easy to come by. They're just not sitting on shelves, you know, for sure. Yeah. Big difference between four or five years, 86 through 90 or 91. Huge right. difference. Huge difference. Just in the popularity was huge. And then I think in the late nineties, it just, there was so many companies, so many cards for me, it, get, it became hard to keep up with. You know, I, I like tops. I always take a top. I'm still making a top set. I have a 78 tops baseball set and an 84. I'm building it one by one. Oh, really? I, I just enjoy it. You know, I have most of the good cards in the set. Okay. I have the Eddie Murray rookie 78. I have the Henderson rookie 80. Um, you know, and I'm just building the cards. Maybe I'll run into a show one day and say, Hey, I need these, uh, commons. You know, I don't know how common they are anymore, but you know, a 78 top set is not that hard to get by, but it's a great set. I just like it. You know? Interesting. So I looked up your 86 Don Russ Jose Canseco rookie. How much is that even worth anymore? Twelve hundred bucks. How much? 1200. <laughs> 1200. For Jose Canseco, bro. Is it a PSA 10? Yeah, it's a 10. Yeah. The rated rookie. That's still, again, if you have 20 of them and you bought them for five bucks, nine bucks. It's kind of like, damn, you took a long time. It took a lot of years to get to That's this a level. But. Investment, bro. You're, you're sitting on host. <laughs> All right. Our, our guy, Noe, just popped into the waiting room. Let me get him in. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's not a great investment. That took a hell of a long time to get to that investment. You know what I mean? Dude. So, it's you, so you, Noe, we got you, man. How's it going, guys? Good, man. Good. good. Doing, thanks, thanks for joining the show, bro. We were just... Ronnie and I were before you just got on. We're talking. He's got. He still has his collection. My guy Ronnie still has like a a seventy eight tops baseball collection going. But we were just kind of talking about the boom. Like, what the hell happened, dude? How did this? How did this sports trading card thing start up again? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think it caught a lot of people by surprise. But I think the number one thing was quarantine. I think quarantine was the main catalyst. You know, people were stuck at home looking for things to do. They were bored. You know, some people were sad. Some people were thrown off their routine, right? Like it was a mixture. And um, I think really just quarantine kind of led to it because you started seeing people posting about cards and you started seeing it on social media more and more. And then it just caught fire. And, you know, a lot of the sneaker industry and the resale industry got a hold of it. And, you know, once they get a hold of something, man, it, it takes off like a wildfire as well. So right. I think that, that was the time that really, you know, kind of sparked the, the whole thing. Got you. Got you. Um, as far as what you do at Vices LTD, Noe, um, give our listeners kind of a rundown of your, your IG lives and what, what that's all about and what it entails so that if they're interested, they can hop on with you um, on IG. For sure. Um, again, appreciate you guys having us. Um, our store name is Vices. We're located out here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we're a sneaker store by trade, right? Like that's how we started seven years ago. Um, but even beyond then, you know, I've been in sneakers my whole life. Um, so when quarantine started was actually around the time that I was just getting into cards. Um, a friend of mine had been trying to get me back into cards for quite a while. We talked sports and other things like that. And he would just drop little comments and statements about, his cards 
when we're talking about sports, right? Like his Zion rookies and his Luca rookies and stuff. And at first, sorry about that. At first I didn't really uh, pay much attention to what he was talking about. Um, so around the all-star game last year, I started personally getting back into cards and in doing so, I started watching a lot of YouTube videos and um, Instagram lives and Facebook lives of people opening cards. And when quarantine hit, that's what I spent most of my time doing. It was like either doing either working from home or watching card breaks. Right. Like just learning about all these different products and just seeing how all these guys do it. And just it was, you know, it it just immediately became something that I was really intrigued by. So um, during the whole spring and summer and even fall, like I've been, you know, back to collecting cards in which my dad and I, you know, used to collect cards um, all the way up until I was about to high school. So got a lot of great memories, you know, collecting and stuff. And like everybody else, you know, somebody has collected cards at some point in their life, whether sports, Pokemon or anything else. So we wanted to introduce cards to the shop and we figured the easiest way to start making that a part of what we do is just by going live Um, and talking to people, showing people, you know, um, trying things out you know, getting our customer base acclimated to like what we do, because although there's very, you know, many similarities in the industries, you still got to like warm people up to how these things work and, and what cards are all about, why they're extremely popular again and that type of thing. So um, we go live on Instagram usually three times a week where we're breaking product um, for people and breaking product means just opening. Um yeah. You know, people buy personal boxes or packs um, where they where they open cards with us, um, as well as, you know, us doing like group breaks where multiple people get in on one box for a cheaper price per person than buying the whole box yourself type thing. So we, we, we offer a mix of things um, and we're going to continue to grow that. And it's really been take. We've only been doing it in store for about a month now. Oh, nice. And from week one to now, like week five a tremendous, tremendous amount of growth and traction, which is exciting to see. That's awesome. Yeah. I broke my first pack last week with, with you and I hit, I hit, some, good, I hit some good stuff. Um, so hey, that was fun. I know. I know my wife is going to murder me because <laughs> now I got another, another hobby to add to my 690 <laughs> hobbies during quarantine. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I blame Russell Payne for all of this, Ronnie, uh, you know, Russ. Uh, <laughs> Russ is kind of the guy who, who sent me your live. Um, the first time was like, we started talking cards and he's like, you need to tune into this. I'm like, okay, cool. Now, now I'm fucking hooked, bro. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> it's awesome. When, I guarantee you when, I guarantee you when Ronnie tunes in for the first time, he's going to get hooked for sure. Um, Ronnie, jump in here. Oh, and, yeah. Ronnie, yeah. Can I ask you a question? How many companies right now are producing like yearly, uh, you know, sets and, you know, is it uh, do is there still traditionists that are like, I like the baseball cards and I want the older cards, or is it like most people are gravitating toward the more popular thing, whether it be football or basketball? Like, you know, what's the hot cards and how many companies are in competition with each other? Yeah, that's a that's a good question because that's one thing that I had to figure out. Like when I started getting back into it, yeah. um, was like, okay, what's on the market now, right? Because yeah. when my dad and I were doing cards. It was a lot different. Upper Deck, Skybox, Fleer, 
like all these companies that you know were around back then i thought it was the same and i had no idea that it was entirely different now um panini is like the the big big manufacturer right now so panini um took over basketball uh they took over football um they took over soccer pretty much you know like wow they're they're the big player in the market but tops is still there tops still has the baseball rights correct but if you remember like tops used to do, do all the basketball stuff too um yeah. like tops chrome tops finest so like jordan uh jordan cards kobe cards kevin durant rookies lebron rookies those are all, all tops cards but now panini has all those rights since like I want to say like 2012. Wow. Is when they dropped their Prism line. Prism's the signature line that like really took off. So you got Panini, you got Tops. Um Upper Deck mostly does like sports memorabilia and stuff now. Sure. Um, but there's been talks of like a lot of things kind of being reignited now that the industry is going crazy. Um, you've also got um, you know, Pokemon cards, which are still extremely popular but they're not produced by the same manufacturer that used to make them back in the day which was uh wizards of the coast um so wizards of the coast basically sold pokemon so now every, everything's like i said it's different now um but people are are really trying to capitalize off like the nostalgia of the audience right because they know a large demographic of card collectors today used to buy a lot of that old stuff um, yeah. back, you know, a couple of eras ago. Right. Yeah. Um, but, um, with that as well, it's like, you've got new, you've got all the new blood in the industry. So these people are going crazy for Pokemon and they're going crazy for basketball. That's like 2017 and newer. They're going crazy for football. That's like 2017 and newer, you know, and that's like their primary focus. Right. But you do have, your long-standing collectors who collect older stuff, baseball cards, vintage cards, you know, and all those kind yeah. of things. So it's a pretty big mix now, whereas before the hobby was, you know, a lot of more traditional, conventional card collectors. Now there's all types of people in it. For sure. Yeah. When, when I go on your IG Live and you're doing breaks, uh, you know, Pokemon is kind of like, I remember I used to have Pokemon cards in like the fourth grade, right? And right. That's kind of like the hot, even more so than than football and basketball. That's kind of the hot thing right now is is the Pokemon cards, man. I mean, sure. I don't know, I don't know why that is. Maybe it, it's a nostalgia thing, but the the uh, it, it seems to me like the the kids like you and I who you know have great nostalgic memories of collecting now have the money or are in the the necessary means to be able to reinvest in these things and kind of have a piece of, of our childhood back as adults sure. is kind of what I'm thinking is happening right now. Um, so what like specific cards, rookie cards um, from, you said 217 and up, what are some of the hottest new guys on the market right now that people are trying to get? Yeah, that's, a, that's also a good question. And one last thing that I'm going to say just to cap yeah. on your last statement actually is like, make no mistake about it. The one thing that really ignited this whole thing for people is that the card industry is lucrative, right? Sure. The ability to get limited cards and add them to your collection and watch them increase in value or the ability to get cards and be able to sell them and make money was the number one enticing thing 
in addition to the hobby just being really fun that caused it to explode the way it did. Um, as far as some of the hottest cards right now, if you're talking basketball, <clears throat> when it comes to like the newer players, obviously um, John Morant and Zion are like the head of this most recent um, rookie class from 1920. Um, LaMelo Ball is going to have a lot of momentum behind his cards, but <clears throat> the cards that people want are prism um, silvers. Okay. And those are really hard to come by. They have a crazy value to them. So like a Zion silver PSA 10 is now doing like five, six grand. Jeez. Wow. A, Z a Zion prism base card PSA 10 is doing like 750 bucks. Wow. So that's still really good, but yeah. that's, that's the difference, right? Like it's hard to get that limited card and then to get it to grade out the way that you want it to. Um, one of the other hottest cards on the market is the Luca rookie silver. Luca in general, like people are just, he has so many fans across the hobby. It's, it's, yeah. it's insane. Like everybody's in love with Luca. And so his rookie cards, anything rookie of his is on fire, but the Luca silver, same thing. I think that's like an eight to $9,000 card now. Yeah, I was I just popped before up. it was like two thousand. Right, I just popped popped that card on eBay. Two thousand eighteen Panini Prism Silver Rookie PSA ten for Luka Doncic nine thousand seven hundred forty nine list price. Right. Man, that's wow. some wild stuff, bro. It's that, crazy. that's insane. And the other part, not to be discounted, is the fact that not only is it hard to get these cards, but because so many people are in the hobby, product is getting ripped at an all time high. Okay, so there's a scarcity in the product it's disappearing. Right. So that, that adds the fuel to the fire. You know, you gotta, you know, to get a chance to even get one of those cards, you got to jump like in a break or you have to drop some serious dough to mm -hmm. get a full box. So there's, you know, there's that aspect of it. So like those three guys, as well as like Trey young, his stuff is on the rise like crazy. Um, those guys are all really, really hot, but then there's sleepers, right? There's, sleepers that everybody's after um that are starting to become not so not so quiet keldon johnson darius baisley um you know players like that um that are like really emerging in the league um and stuff like that when it comes to football uh this this rookie class that just passed is one of the hottest rookie classes i think we're going to see for a long time it's stacked from quarterbacks to running backs to receivers i mean it's loaded right um so obviously like the cream of the crop right now anyway is justin herbert but that could change yeah. right next year it could be tua or it could be joe burrow again right like all these guys are really good people are really bullish on them um but justin herbert had an incredible season probably gonna win rookie of the year Right. So people are going crazy. And he's also a quarterback. Quarterbacks also always go for the most value. For Quarterbacks sure. always go for the most value. Um, but the player that is absolutely on fire besides Patrick Mahomes, because his cards are just astronomical prices. Right. Josh yeah. Allen. Yeah. Josh Allen's prices sense. have exploded. His popularity has exploded. His card values have exploded. So that those are those are some of the key guys right now that like are always on everybody's radar anytime you see a dope card of let one of those guys. Let me ask you a question. Like when you when I was a young kid, you you'd have a player like um Barry Bonds 
or Jerry Rice or something like that. And when you you said invested mm-hmm. or you said, hey, I'm going to get a couple of cards, say it might be worth value. You're thinking in terms of like five years, 10 years, maybe a little longer. Mm-hmm. Now, is everything just turned around much faster because of the Internet and things like that? So when you say Josh Allen, I'm thinking if I have Josh Allen, I'm going to hold on for it till next week. If he makes the Super Bowl, I'm ready to sell because I can make a quick turnaround. Like, is the turnaround really quick or is it still some old school savings down the line value or is like everything just a turnaround? Man, that's that that's a great point, like to bring up because yeah, that is how it used to work. Yeah. In this in this digital age, everything has the ability to go from zero to a hundred overnight. Yeah. Right. So some of those traditional like principles still apply. Yeah. Like there's still cards that can really grow over time and, and stuff. But like in this digital age, now that the hobby is so huge, it doesn't take very long for things to explode. <clears throat> but on the flip side of that, things can also go down, right? Yeah, crash and burn. Because there's so much hype and money being put in this, in the certain things. All it takes is, you know, a, a bad season or a few bad games even. Injury. Or, or an injury, God forbid, right, for a price to go from up here all the way down, you know, and, and kind of rock bottom. So it is it is more volatile than it ever has been, but it's also more lucrative. So, like, um, a, another perfect example that I can think of off the top of my head, Bull Bull. <laughs> and shout out Bobo, vice <laughs> supporter, really nice guy. You know, excited to have him here in Denver. Hopefully, um, you know, he continues to develop and do great things for the Nuggets. I'm a huge Nuggets fan. Um, but uh he he was starting in the bubble because we had injuries. Sure. Right. So we were like super thin at the beginning of the bubble, and he was playing pretty good. Immediately overnight, his his prices on cards skyrocketed. Immediately, wow. right? And people starting started investing and stuff like that. And then as we got back to healthy during the bubble, like his his role in the rotation got reduced. So then you saw card prices drop back down. So I guess the point is, you know, you definitely got to be careful of like being overzealous in what you jump into and when you jump into it. But when you catch those card investments ahead of the curve, it's amazing because you just see them just taking off. You know, THT is another one. Taylor Horton Tucker. Yeah. LeBron came out and, and made a statement about him publicly, you know, that he's special. He's going to be really good. And like just off that alone, his, his card prices exploded. Wow. Just like, wow. <laughs> it, it, it's pretty it's pretty crazy but like over time cards can continue to like lebron rookies now you know can be like 35 grand right and before this time last year they were only two thousand dollars now they're 35 grand like it's just it's insane give us our viewers a a, a just an ex, a sample of how much this industry's grown meaning let me give you my point and then you tell me what you think uh we had a balls like we had a meeting uh uh a company meeting about a Christmas meeting about five years ago. I say this is 2015 or 16. And one of our, our guys, he's in social media. He has a box of 86 Fleer. He has an unopened box. 
So we were talking oh, about it, and his real. dad have it, and he said, "He go, I go, what is it worth?" He goes, "I wouldn't sell it. It's worth thirty grand, maybe forty grand." And I go, "Dang!" Even then, I was like, "That's a lot." I go, "Man, there could be three, four Jordans in there. What What is an eighty-six Fleer box today? Unopened, you know?" Yeah. That I mean, that's a good question because honestly, yeah. that's out of my price market. I'm not too sure <laughs> off top, but but I know it's more than thirty grand these days. You know. Um, yeah. It's it's would it probably be six figures. It could be. I don't yeah. know if it's gotten that high, okay. but I know. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Vegas Dave. Um, yeah. So he just did a collaboration with. Uh, there's a a card place in L.A. called uh, Coffee Breakers. I don't know if you have heard of them. No. Um. So Coffee Breakers did like a collaboration with him, and they opened an '86 Fleer box. And yes, he pulled multiple Jordans as well as like the Jordan sticker. And stuff like that. Wow. <clears throat> so that was pretty cool to watch. But yeah, I, th- I think that box is now north of like 50K, if I'm not mistaken. Interesting. That's, but that's, so, a, holy, that's a holy grail right there. Right, right, right. Hang on. So this, this will kind of give you a little bit of um, uh, context on how much an 86 Fleer box would be worth. The box, an empty box, no cards. <laughs> empty box, Ronnie, is on eBay right now for a thousand bucks. Just the box. box. Yeah, a thousand bucks for just. I don't get the significance of that, but it's just I get it. There's no cards in it. It's just a piece of cardboard with some graphics. Thousand dollars. Yeah, people look at everything as a collector's piece, and that's the like. The strange thing is like Pokemon. The value on Pokemon original Pokemon stuff is absolutely insane. Like original first edition boxes, well over six figures. We're talking over two hundred and k two hundred k. For really? a box. Wow. Well, yeah. is, is, there a, is there a Holy Grail card? Like, okay, like I'm thinking of the Atom Bomb card, Garbage Pail Kids. Is there <laughs> a card in Pokemon that's just like, you got to have this card. If you have this card, you're just the man. First edition holographic Charizard. Oh, okay. First edition holographic Charizard. Um, that card goes for an insane amount of money. That's a wow. six-figure card easily. As a as a PSA ten or a PSA nine, wow. which is really expensive still. Wow. Anything first edition, um, is truly nostalgic and is truly rare, right? Like kids burned through Pokemon cards back in the day, oh, right? Sure. Like, they all got trashed. Nobody kept them safe, right? There's very few that kept them stored properly. They were playing cards, so yeah. now all that first edition stuff. It is just worth an unreal amount of money. People yeah. collect the pack wrappers, the boxes, the cards, everything. It's insane. It's just crazy how young <clears throat> men and young people thought of it. Cause yeah, as it, where I grew up, I grew up um, near Southgate in Southern California, and it, like I was telling Devin, you know, baseball cards were it. Yeah, basketball was kind of dabbling. Football, you could dabble in it. You know, it was kind of looked at as soft. Like basketball was looked at as a soft sport. Like. Just why are you collecting basketball cards? Those are weak, right. right? And people who collected Pokemon cards, they were like laughed at. But <laughs> I think the people that knew value of baseball cards would would keep the Pokemon cards if they had them. They just never got into them because it was like nobody's gonna walk around carrying some Pokemon cards. You would look silly where I live. Right. But but you knew as a value. But I think collectors said keep them. But I think like you said, the people that had them as youngsters, they eventually. Probably lost them, gave them away. Yeah, threw them away because they they outgrew it or whatever. For sure. And again, going back to the whole 
<clears throat> digital age thing, I think a lot of the newer audience in cards, a lot of the newer audience in cards, they just more easily identify with basketball and then right. football compared to baseball. But make yeah. no mistake about it, like baseball is the the classic traditional backbone of, of sports cards and baseball will forever be the big player in cards, right? Like, I mean, I don't know if you guys just seen the ni- 1952 Mickey Mantle or whatever it was sold for like 5.2, 5.3 million or whatever, right? Yeah. Just set a new all-time record. There's not a basketball card that's going to do that anytime no. soon, in right. my opinion. Right. Or if it I, is, you're overpaying for it. <laughs> right. The closest one that I can think of yeah. is the LeBron. There's a LeBron, um, like, rookie auto card. I think it might have a patch on it. And about a month and a half ago or so, two months ago, it sold for, like, $1.9 or $2 million or something like that. Wow. Right? So it set, like, a new record. LeBron even acknowledged it, came out and said, good thing I bought a couple of these and I got them stashed. So, <laughs> I mean, the hobby is, like, just – it's everywhere, man. You got yeah. – Steve Aoki, you got Mark Wahlberg, you got, you know, Ben Baller, you got LeBron, you got all these players and, and celebrities and people. I mean, they're all into it and, yeah. and they're promoting it. All that does is help fuel the hobby. Sure. You know, you got famous YouTubers opening expensive Pokemon boxes on, on YouTube. Like, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Now, is there... Any like the X Games that ESPN made popular? Is there any cards of like secondary sports like Tony Hawk? Is there any skateboard cards or you know cards of of a non traditional sport? I should say maybe yeah. cards or anything like that. So there actually is, and I'm not super familiar with everything. Yeah, in that realm, I will say one sport that I picked up um, in the hobby is soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of international soccer. Um, you know, World Cup, U, uh, EFA, and stuff like that. Um, you know, like Mbappe and guys like that, which uh, I've really started to enjoy because I've started to learn a lot about sport and the teams and some of the players and some of the young players. But um, there's some really cool golf cards and sets wow. that, yeah, that are worth some serious money. Um, there's a Tiger Woods card that everybody's after. Um I think it's from like the early 2000s or late 90s. I can't remember exactly, but it has decent value to it. You know, like $600, $700 card, PSA 10. It's a really cool card. But I saw this guy on an Instagram live open up this Tiger Woods collection box set. And I, it was like $13,000, for the for the set. And it's all Tiger Woods cards. It comes with like cards and memorabilia and all this stuff, right? So <clears throat> he opened all the cards. He hit some really cool stuff. There was this one card in there that was hand painted. It was hand painted and it was autographed by Tiger Woods. Ooh. And it was just like one of the most amazing cards I've ever seen. And then they also included like a flag from like the US Open in like whatever year, you know, he played at a US Open. They put one of the flags from the holes and he signed it in there. Like just insane like memorabilia stuff so there is a market and there are products out there like i know there's a lot of people that actually collect ufc like ufc fighting cards 
um, Star Wars. Um, what else is out there? I mean, there's a lot of different things like that that people Maybe are like into. ET or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, um, I, don't, I don't know too much on those specific ones because I haven't really gotten into those, but I definitely have seen other people open some crazy product. Yeah, that's crazy. So, Ronnie, to your point with Tony Hawk, I, I just eBayed some little things here. And a, 20, a 2015 Topps Garbage Pail Kid Tony Hawk Auto Card, Ronnie's $14,000 on eBay right now. Oh. There you go. That is crazy, dude. The industry's full of surprises, man. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That, Char, that Charizard you mentioned earlier, Noe, sold to Logic, the rapper. Yeah. $220,000. There you go. Now, Noe, um, as like I said, as a kid, people threw the baseball cards around when I was a kid. Again, I'm about a dozen years older than Devin. I'm, I'm probably 10, 15 years older than Devin. But, um, you know, at some point, we all knew that we, these baseball cards and these football and basketball cards, we got to save them, keep them in good condition. Yeah. And then it was over in the mid-90s, was overproduced. So the industry kind of took a lull, wasn't as popular. And I guess because, uh, you know, like you said, baseball wasn't after the, uh, after the strike and no World Series in 94, baseball kind of took a dive a little bit from the public <laughs> eye. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's keeping – what's going to keep this industry now from crashing? Because everybody knows to save, everybody knows not to throw it away, keep it in good condition. How is history not going to repeat itself? How are we going to keep, you know, how's this momentum going to keep going upward? Or why? I know, you know, I think that's something that yeah. everybody that gets into the hobby, they ask, right? Like even, yeah. even Russell, um, when I, he was first, he saw me posting a lot about cards. So he's naturally an inquisitive guy started asking questions yeah. and you know, one thing led to another. Now he's, now he's into it, but he asked me the same thing, you know, like, is it, is this just a fad? Is this just gonna, you know, history repeats itself crash and burn type thing. But the reason why, you know, I think that the card industry is here to stay permanently, right? Like card values can always change. Sure. But the interest is never going to die down in my opinion for a lot of reasons. One, because it has caught fire at the right time. It has resonated with people. Um, people are really uh, passionate about sports in general. And, and now being able to network, buy, sell, and trade, you know, via the internet 24 um, seven, it's just too convenient and too, um, you know, lucrative and, and just a big opportunity to network with people, right? Like investing in individual cards is a different, it's a different discussion, you know, on why I think people should and shouldn't invest in certain cards at, at certain prices. But um, the industry itself, you know, they do say history repeats itself, but I just think that this thing is too big, too popular, and and also very difficult to get the stuff you want it, it's not going anywhere especially yeah. anytime soon right like people connect with athletes more than they ever have mm -hmm. right like you know just the fact that you can you can watch lebron post a video on instagram right after a game is different than like the era of the 90s and the 80s and and beyond where it was just like you know you you turn that one tv on and, and catch the game and 
you know, you don't really get to resonate that much with the player. Um, now people feel like, you know, they are more connected than ever. You see professional sports trying to connect people more than ever, right? Like cameras in the dugout, you know, mid-game interviews, yeah. um, you know, social media stuff, press conference. Like it's just – there's a lot of things that go into it that feed into the hobby. And yeah. so there's so much new money and new blood into this thing. It's going to be going for quite a long time. Yeah, and I think, the like you said, the visibility – of these players and the marketing and just the national TV and the access that everyone has to these guys makes them connect with them more um, than ever, than ever before. And, and the quarterback is the reason, you know, they're the face of the franchise. So they're the reason why they're so expensive. Uh, The best players in the NBA are the reason why they're so expensive. And Russ, our guy, Russ Payne, just as we're speaking right now on this podcast, just posted, uh, a picture on Twitter of four um, 2001 Tiger Woods cards. And he's asking yeah. 650 for it. He's asking 650 for them. Uh, yeah. I'm going to buy one from him. So, okay. Yeah. So I got, I'm going to show you this card that I found the other day. It's a Kobe Bryant. If you oh. here with That's Joe Kelly being Bryant in the jeans, not worth much, but I think it's kind of a cool card here. Uh, That's the biggest thing is like, yeah. it doesn't, you know, the one thing I will say, because it's a lot like sneakers in this regard, you don't have to collect what's hyped up. Yeah, sure. There, there are so many dope cards from every year and every decade that are worth having in your collection. And even if they don't go for crazy value, that doesn't matter, right? Like, collect what you think is dope. Collect your favorite players. Collect what's nostalgic to you collect what's what's valuable to you. That's really what the hobby should be about. It shouldn't be about collecting just the cards that you see going crazy and viral, right? Like, yes, those are fun to acquire. But to me, the enjoyment of building a personal collection yeah. is finding dope cards that you don't see very often that are, are significant to you. For example, I was at a card shop the other day just getting some supplies, you know, and stuff. And they had just put out this second year Kobe um, dope card, like a see-through look and all these things that just reminded me a lot of the, some of the older Kobe like rookies and second and third year cards that I used to have. It was only like 25 bucks, you know, and it just didn't, it didn't have a ton of value, but it was a sweet looking card from a dope era. And I just bought it and I added it to my collection and I felt good about it the whole day. You know what I mean? Like I, I just felt great about it the whole day. So like, you know, for me, a lot of my favorite players are like Penny Hardaway, Jordan, Ken Griffey, you know, a lot of those guys. And, and Man. Just, not you're good. That happened to me too. I apologize. Um, you know, Ken Griffey, obviously he has some stuff that has a lot of value, but he also has some stuff that people forgot about, right? And yeah. uh, Penny Hardaway, like old school collectors have some really dope Penny Hardaway stuff, but for the most part, a lot of his cars don't go for – crazy amounts of money but like to me i, I want to collect some of those other things vince carter you know stuff like that so I, I think it's cool to have all the hype stuff but you know your, your collection is really based on what what you care about and what you think is dope for and, sure and that makes a collection cool in my opinion Noe, man we appreciate the time brother um again check out his if you're in the denver area go to vices check him out um if you're on ig make sure you check him out uh, what's your IG handle? 
Yeah, so you guys can find us in downtown Denver um, if you're local. Otherwise, you can find us online at vicesltd.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at vicesltd. And we're always posting new stuff. And like I said, we go live three times a week. So give us a follow. Check out our lives. You're going to have a lot of fun. And uh, congrats to my man, Devin, pulling that John Morant and uh, the Zion and some other dope stuff. Man, what a great box. It was fun. That was fun. And uh, hopefully we're going to connect here soon for a, a private Ball is Life break on our Ball is Life IG Live. So we can we can kind of you know, put that in front of our audience and hopefully drive some more people to your, your Instagram account. No, we, we appreciate the time, man. Always great to connect with you and we'll be in touch. Thanks so much for having us guys. We really appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking with you guys. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you later, man. Damn, I, I'm going to, the only way I'm going to watch a, a break is if our guy, David Astromachus, Pulls out that '86 Fleer box and starts cracking it open on 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 Ball's Life Instagram. <laughs> you think we can get him to do it? I don't know, man. That box, i don't think I'd sell that box for less than six figures. Man, it's just crazy how all this. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy because, like I said, I was talking to him about—we were talking about that probably about five years ago—and that box was loose 30k then, you know. So, man, I could just imagine it's just skyrocketed for sure. You know, uh, again, and T makes great points to me too. I'm still, I, I still rather want a Pete Rose, Hank Aaron. The only card that was ever out of my reach was a Mickey Mantle. Even I, I could never get a Mickey Mantle. It was just too expensive. I have a, I have a 60 Aaron. Uh, I have a maze. I have a bunch of Pete Rose cards. I have a George Brett rookie, which is 75. Like I said, Eddie, I don't know if they're all worth much. Ricky Henderson's a, uh, 80 rookie tops. They're worth a lot to me, though. Yeah. And there's very few basketball cards I would give up for those. I wouldn't, unless it's a Jordan, I ain't giving up no old baseball card for no basketball card. I think it's, I think it's not worth it to me. I you think, know, I think baseball cards are so yeah. much more sought after is because the history is yeah. in the sport, right? Correct. Like goes back to. 19 whatever 1904 right i mean yeah. all the way back is th that sport's been around for so long and it's just yeah. the cards produce then like a 52 mickey mantle like there's probably three of them yeah I mean, there's not that many and like you said there's not that many good condition uh the 33 i think it's gaudy uh babe ruth is supposed to be a great card and honestly the holy grail the the, the t wag honus wagner tobacco card is like that card's been big even for like 40 years now I mean, it makes the news if somebody has one. Like, it makes the local newspapers. It's that big. You know, I'm sure, um, you know, that mantle is kind of the same same thing now. I mean, those are the two best cards of all time. It's going to be, you know, maybe the Jordan 86 years is like three or four. You know, that's a great card, obviously, because of Michael Jordan's stature. I, I think a lot of people would, like, realize how dope Michael Jordan was. Like you said, the younger generation with that doc. Yeah. You know, they, if they have something, if their dad has something, oh, dad, what is that pennant or what is that T-shirt? Like, they really like it, you know? I even think Michael Jordan's daughter said something on Instagram or Twitter. She's like, whoa, dad, like, this is pretty nuts. Like, because his daughter's younger than his two sons, obviously, you know? Right. So, yeah, like, your dad is pretty much a badass, you know? So, yeah, you know, it's pretty interesting. It'll be, I'm interested in seeing what's next. Like, if it's not going to crash and burn, you know, what's next? Um,
I'm sure you and our guy Russell Payne will keep me up to date. Like, Man, I'm I'm so pissed at Russ because now I'm hooked. My my wife hates Russ. Yeah. Uh, she's like, dude, it's enough. You have enough hobbies. You got enough. You're spending yeah. money on too much different stuff. But hey, I'm I'm in now. I'm in, Russ. Yeah, well, I mean, we're busy. You know, you're you got a lot of things to do. I got a lot of things upcoming. Luckily, you know, gratefully to, to Ball's Life and other entities, we're we're busy. We obviously got things to talk about in terms of like the NCA changing. Uh, you know, scouting services. I'm sure we'll get into that one day. Um, you know, our, our database with ballslife.com is growing. We're, we're, we're getting it to the level we want. And then there's just current events and current things happening. Uh, Devin, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what you saw at the St. James Invitational now transitioning to current affairs and current high school basketball, which is kind of what we are uh, – kind of what we, we, our strength. Um, what did you see? What did you like? What did you like? And, uh, you know, what did you catch on TV? So, you know, it's good to see live high school basketball, Ronnie, because we yeah. had a lot of it lately. Um, and obviously we weren't live watching it, but it was on ESPN, a lot of good games, a lot of the top teams, a lot of fab 50 ranked teams sure. that we saw over the weekend. Um, so my standouts, Ronnie, let's run through this list that I put down here. Jalen Duran from Montverde. Sure. Uh, Caleb Foster from Oak Hill, Ryan Nemhard from, from Montbird, MJ Rice from Oak Hill, Kennedy Chandler from Sunrise Christian Academy, uh, Keontae George from iSchool. Didn't have his best shooting game, but he's really talented. Uh, Vince Iwachukwu from La, La Lumiere, a young big man who's really talented. Caleb yes. from Montbird, uh, and Tamar Bates from IMG Academy. These are, these are mostly all guys who are, who are really well-known, Ronnie. In, yeah, they're mostly well-known people who, who follow the game or follow rankings and things like that. I think the player I was, the, the two players I was most surprised by Jalen Duran based on his improvements, Ronnie. Okay. Really gotten a lot more fluid as an offensive player uh, has better touch around the basket than he did maybe a year ago when he was in Philadelphia playing with Roman Catholic. Uh, he impacts the game on the, the, the rebounding defensive offensive glass uh, rim protector, really good shot blocker, great instincts. And the, the thing that stuck to me most with Jalen Duran was his passing out of the post. Really yeah. good guy when finding cutters and throwing little drop bounce passes or kicking to shooters, uh, recognizing double teams and passing out of those. He's, he's really good, man. He's really good. And then Caleb Foster, uh, a sophomore point guard, right? He's a sophomore. Yes. He's a sophomore, the Oak Hill point guard. Yes. Yep. He, uh, you know, I, I don't think before the season, uh, Oak Hill coach Steve Smith really expected him to be this good, you know, um, he had a big game, 17 points. Um, was that yesterday, Ronnie, against – who did they play yesterday? Let me let me pull up this, the stat sheet. Yeah. Um, first Lewis uh, – iSchool, first iSchool. Yeah, the iSchool uh, yep. win. At 17 points, seven – Double overtime. Yeah, double overtime game, Oak Hill won. He had 17 points, seven rebounds, and eight assists with one turnover, Ronnie. Wow. I think I think as a sophomore, he played 40 minutes in a big game like that on a big stage on national television um, to show that kind of poise and playmaking and, and IQ. I think he's going to be one of the the top point guards in that 223 class uh, when all is said and done. Yeah, I like that. I like their team. Again, you know, we talk about it. He doesn't have a Carmelo Anthony on his roster, Steve Smith, but he just has a good makeup. They're a pretty good team. You know, I think when we saw him against Lake – uh, Norman Christian, they just early in the scene, they just didn't look that good. 
but they're playing hard. Um, MJ Rice is getting into form. I like MJ Rice. There's a lot to be said about a guy. I, again, we call him a, I call him a garbage man. You know, guys who just do the dirty work. There's just nothing pretty and flashy about his game, but he gets it done. You know, it's it's very interesting. Uh, Jalen uh, Ricks also is pretty good for Oak Hill. He had some good games early, and Oak Hill had a great run at the event. Oak Hill comes in at number five in the Fat 50. They're 13 and one. So basically, everybody at the top's only lost to Monverde. And, and, you know, that's one of their losses. So you got Wasatch is 15 and three. Uh, they're number six in the Fat 50 this week. Uh, their losses are just to the teams above them Oak Hill, number five, Sunrise, number two, and Monverde, number one. Like I said, Oak Hill's at number five, 13 and one, the loss to Monverde. DeMatha was at the event. Now, DeMatha's played a couple games. DeMatha Catholic has played a couple games as uh, against teams that are quasi-club teams. So they played the Baltimore Panthers, which is St. Francis Academy. And, and they played the Blue Magic, which is John Marshall, Richmond, Virginia. John Marshall was going to have a great team this year. They were preseason Fab 50 ranked. But they, the Richmond Public Schools, Devin, shut down the season. So they're, they're playing as a quasi-club team the whole season uh baltimore catholic schools doesn't don't know for sure yet uh, are there's i don't have no word on like a one they're gonna have a start date they're not sure so they're they're getting some games in and kudos to them you know so they had they beat those two teams so they're technically two and oh in the fab 50 but they're really six and oh they won a couple practice games and they beat those two travel quote unquote travel teams um you know so they're, they're coming at number four uh, the top three are kind of all, all played out on the court. It was great games. Number three is mm -hmm. IMG, 12 and two. After, uh, you know, they had lost to Montverde in a pretty close game on Sunday. They lost to Sunrise Christian on Monday. Thank you, Guy. You mentioned going to Tennessee. Kennedy Chandler had a really great uh, stretch down the, you know, down the fourth quarter, hit a big three. He hit four threes in the game. Uh, Kennedy Chandler kind of showing that he's at a top tier point guard in that class, maybe the top one, 26 points in that game, 69-62 uh, win. Uh, Sunrise was down 21-11, and Kendall Brown also had a, a pretty good game, 17 points. What did you think about that two-versus-three game, Devin, and coming off the, after that number one versus number two game? Obviously, yeah. two back-to-back -to -back tough games for IMG. Yeah, I think IMG kind of ran out of gas towards the end, right, towards the end of the game. Uh, got out to a good start and then after the kind of emotional game against Montverde maybe kind of sputtered down the stretch and um, you know Kennedy Chandler kind of took over that game in the third and fourth quarter yeah 26 points and obviously uh, he hit four threes Ronnie and went eight of nine from the free throw line and I think the biggest gripe on Kennedy Chandler's game he is the top point guard in that in that 221 class but the biggest gripe on his game and question mark that people are are that they had about his game was this three-point shooting and sure. based, on, based on what i saw and based on what you saw over this you know the course of this event is he's addressed that and he's become a very very reliable three-point shooter and that kind of just elevates his game and then elevates his team yeah it's 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 tough because those are tough games and they're a good team and you know these top teams are going to kind of quote unquote beat up in each other a lot yeah i mean you got La Lamere and we had our guest Pat Holmes last in the paint show. You know what? 
They've lost to Wasatch, Montverde, Sunrise, and Oak Hill. Four losses. They're three and four, but like I couldn't drop them. They moved up in the rankings. Same thing right. with Oak Hill. They just lost to Montverde. They moved up. There's no other team. So I have a little bit of a dilemma. What not? You know, it's a, maybe something that people want to see what what's going on. I still have a lot of zero and zero teams. Devin Long Island Lutheran from New York. Uh, Archbishop Wood is 0 and 0. Honestly, we know about the teams in California. Sierra Canyons, O'Day is 0 and 0, meaning zeros that they haven't played yet. So, you know, how do I reward teams that are playing really tough schedules and not over punish them if they lose compared to teams that we know are good, but we don't know how good they are yet because they're just zero and zero as we are you, in the middle you, of January already. Are you saying like, okay, so uh, La Lomir, for example, has lost to all these teams and. Yeah. When you place them, do you look underneath them and who's underneath them and be like, would this team, you know, compete with Montverde? Would they compete yeah. with Wasatch? Is that how you kind of set Yeah, that's how I kind of break it out right now. Again, I'm going heavy still, especially in this season, based on what I thought they how good they were in the preseason to how good they were traditionally and then how good their roster is. I'm like, okay, I can't, you know, drop Lalamir too low. I I I right now I don't think Lalamir would lose to uh, you know. Uh, North Mecklenburg or Sierra Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. Sierra Canyon right now, you know, uh, Notre Dame college prep, who's probably not going to have a season. I'm going to have to remove them. Number 36. Again, I'm just saying different numbers, you know, yep. just watching them, you know, uh, you know, number a good examples, Calvary Christian Academy, a team you saw play online against Corona Santana, the 37 right now, they've lost to Milton, which is a really good team in Georgia. I G and Montverde. Okay. Would Lalamere be favored against them? Probably so. Right now, you know, so again, what do you do with teams that have already played seven, eight, ten games? And the real tough one I had was legacy early this week. I mean, it's really tough for them. You know, what you know, legacy early ended the event with five losses. They dropped four games last week and they're nine and seven, but they're pretty good. But you know, what do I do with them? Nine and seven, you know, they they lost five in a row. It's it's really tough. I dropped them out this week. They're one of two teams to drop, but I don't think they're going to be out forever, especially if they get a couple wins against either a Lalamir, uh, you know, or an Oak Hill. You yeah. know, I, they're gonna it's gonna be a tough bet to beat to for them to beat Sunrise or or Montverde, but it doesn't mean they can't beat a couple of those teams in that league. And like I said, if they wouldn't have lost that game to Bishop Walsh, they probably wouldn't have dropped out. I think, you know, the loss to Bishop Walsh is a loss they can't have. Bishop Walsh hasn't beaten a good team yet. So, gotcha. Okay. You know, so it's it's still kind of very interesting, all these teams that haven't played, but there's a lot of good basketball. We'll, we'll, we'll have some updates on some of the guys who've been playing good so far. Look for that on our website in the next couple of weeks. You know, just, just kind of give some, I guess, quote-unquote, mid-season grades. Um, we pretty much went over the top ten. Obviously, go to ballslife.com. It includes uh, the MLK Monday results. Uh, like I said, after the, the guys that are played at the NIBC, seven is Archbishop Wood, nine, eight is Minnehaha Academy, which actually started their season. I don't know if you saw some highlights, Devin. Um, our guy Chet Homer and them are wearing masks playing, so <laughs> they're getting their season under, under undergoing. They're 2-0. and Long Island hasn't started, and Camden with DJ Wagner, which has a pretty good team, is still hasn't started either. Ronnie, is Minnehaha wearing the masks over their mouth, or are they doing the chin diaper? Yeah, I, I, I saw a little bit over their over their mouth, but I think like our guy Kevin Boyle sometimes come down to the chin, you know. Uh, you know, you'd have to go check those highlights out, but at least they're playing, you know. 
it's been a it's a tricky thing. I I want to make sure I'll be risk not to remiss not to uh, give a shout out to John Rhodes, who's the uh, was the executive director of the Beach Ball Classic that takes place every every year in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. On the 17th, he passed Devin. He was 77 years old from uh, COVID-19 complications. Complications. Great guy. Got to know him a little bit. Talked to him on the phone. Obviously, his, his event was always very good. Every coach I talk to, whether it's coaches in New York, Grant Rice from Gorman, the California coaches, our guy Dave Rubibo from Harvard-Westlake, whoever it was, whether it's recently or in years past, they always said how great they got treated at that event. Honestly, if they had a chance, they would always go to that event just because of the hospitality there in, in Myrtle Beach. Uh, you know, shout out to John Rose, you know, rest in peace. He's, he's, you know, caught COVID or had some kind of complications with COVID. His wife, according to my uh, guy, Chris Lawler, who's been doing national rankings too for a long time, he's, his, his wife posted something on Facebook that he was sick, that, you know, pray for him in the hospital. And then like, boom, fast. He was just, it was just announced that he'd pass. It was kind of shocking. Right. I mean, Ronnie, we've, you know, COVID or non-COVID, we've lost a lot of good people uh, this year. Yeah. So hopefully, man. Hopefully we can we can get through this um, pandemic. I mean, even though we're 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 not through it yet, and it's been almost eleven months, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, what's very interesting, I mean, to cut you off is the the you know the, the the one of our best shows and one of the ones we went deep in in the pain and unfortunately we had to was the Kobe Bryant one and and Devin in about a week here it's going to be a year. That's right. It doesn't even yeah. It seems like it was. Two weeks ago. Yeah, it's gonna be a year, and it's just it's mind blowing. But you know, like you said, we've 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 lost people. But very interesting. And we're talking about collecting memorabilia and things you want to collect. You know, uh, newspapers. I don't have very many newspapers. I, I I grabbed that one that day, and I remember it was sold out everywhere. But the LA Times, you know, it has that picture of Kobe kind of uh, giving out a roar, which is one of his famous photos, but. They talked about COVID that day. They didn't even have a name for it, but it's right there on the front of the newspaper. Right. It's just kind of one of those crazy things. And, and, and we both know a lot of people who think they had COVID around that Kobe Bryant when he passed time, like or a few weeks there before early January, maybe even around the Damien. Our, our guy, Bob Becker, the old coach at guards, like, Ron, I was real sick. I think it was COVID, you know, like he had what he felt was COVID symptoms last December, meaning December 2019. And into January 220. Yeah. A lot of people are now saying, oh, I was sick. You know, I don't know why. So, man, you know, almost basically a year later and it's like, oh, my God. But uh, we wanted to give an update before we go off off for the this episode, kind of a current event. Uh, recently, Devin, the CIF Southern Section released something regarding false sports. They're still talking about false sports. Remember, we're already in the middle of January going into February. But we're talking about false sports. That's how crazy this is. A lot of states are already done with football. Some states are never going to start football. Uh, what's the update, Devin? Yeah, so based on, you know, based on what uh, they released today, you know, football was supposed to start in August in CIF. And we're, like you said, we're in mid to late January, and they announced that all fall sports championships will be canceled um, due to, you know, COVID issues. Protocol, yeah. Uh, the, the county health um, guidelines and kind of the tier that we're 
we still find ourselves in, which is the purple tier, which is the worst tier because people just won't stay the fuck home. Um, and so there's going to be no football championships, no, no playoffs. I, yeah. Yeah. Playoffs, uh, women's volleyball. Um, I think really the only fall sport that's still on the table for championships would be cross country or, or, or track. I think track might be spring though, but cross country is still on the, on the board because obviously it's outdoors. It's outdoors. Yeah. If someone's running faster than somebody else and you got six feet of distance, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you know, those great courses, I mean, you know, cross country, especially the, the Woodbine park, whatever its name is in Fresno is just like a great iconic place. But I saw some treat for our guy, Eric Sondheimer, and he was talking to some coaches and they're like, well, we're getting ready for the fall. <laughs> like some of the football coaches are like, we're getting ready for the fall. Like they just, I, I mean, even if they do have a seven game or six or eight game season with no pass, are some schools just going to opt out and say, it's not safe. We're just going to do it in the fall, Devin. I, yeah, I think so. I, I think there'll be schools that'll, that'll just, I think there's, there's already schools that are playing right now. I mean, our, our guy, Steve Fryer from the Orange County Register posted about uh, two high school programs hosting a game, a football game. With full pads, right? Full. Did they have refs? Let me look it up. Capuchino Valley Christian. Did they have refs? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think so. Uh, but not CIF sanctioned refs, though. Um, let me look up Steve's page. Where did they play, Devin? Do we? Do I don't know. I'm gonna look that up. So I don't have a subscription, unfortunately, to uh, to the Orange County Register. Uh, so I can't read their stories very often. But uh, Fryer, you know, he's been he's been taking heat from a lot of people in Orange County based on his, you know, re- reporting, they want, they want him to report about, uh, you know, how to get, how to get players and, you know, people back on the field while Steve's kind of just, you know, taking the true reporters a- approach to this and, you know, reporting what's going on with guidelines and things like that. Um, but your initial thought, it was Capuchino Valley Christian and Calvary Chapel, obviously two private schools, as you can tell by their names. This can lead into uh, our listener question from Chris Garcia, kind of separation of um, uh, public and private school and private schools. So obviously this, this is two private schools playing against each other. Uh, let me see if I can open this up and maybe get a, a quick read here, a free read before they lock me out, Ronnie. Sure. Uh, they played on Saturday, January 16th. Doesn't say where yet. Um, Calvary Chapel, glor- uh, the coach said it was a glorified scrimmage. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, what are your thoughts on them getting together and playing a game like that, Ronnie? Um, I I don't know the you know all the parameters of it, but yeah. the my thing is if they're not in, you know, I don't know if the Southern Section has said, hey, the season is now officially started. Like even though you can't. You know, you're in season, you're not off season, but if they're off season and there really is been delayed and delayed and delayed, who's, who is, who is uh, enforcing these guidelines? That's the problem here. Right. It's not like illegal, but I guess it is recommended of what you, what you shouldn't do, but it's not being enforced. And we've already had sheriff's departments from various counties and and and, and various police departments say we're not going to enforce some of this so you get mixed message from different people so that's why these things happen certain yeah. people have certain views of it like you said and certain people have other views and they maybe their views are not as uh lenient and some views are very strong hey stay home so i think because of the messaging that's out there i think it's led to 
to these type of things. And people also have a very strong opinion. I think it's led by a, a California like Coaches Coalition for COVID, which is uh, kind of formed by uh, Sarah San Mateo, Coach Patrick Walsh. That like we have kids that are really struggling without uh, the interaction of their friends and other kids on being on a team and without sports. So I I, I see both sides. I don't know why they would play if they don't. So what are they not doing? Not playing this week? You play one football game. What do you do the next week? That's what I don't understand. I mean, it was a, it was a game. Now what? It was just a glorified scrimmage. So it's totally fine. Um, <laughs> you played now what? You're not playing. Are you, you have another opponent lined up that we don't know about? You right. know, like if you're going to play the season and play the season, don't yes. just play one game and then be like, well, it was a scrimmage. And uh, yeah, we, you know, like. Don't pussyfoot it. If you're going to play, play this. I know we want to play another dome. Anybody right. out there want to play us? You know, right. like play then. If you're going to put on pads, I mean, I don't get why you would do it one week and then just you're trying to make a point or something. So that's a little odd. But back to our viewers uh, question, you know, our listeners question is that thought was always, you know, private schools and public schools. You know, they, there's some people that want to have them separate for years. Obviously, right now in the in the CIF, there's both private and public. So my, my thing would be is I think it could lead to more of that talk and maybe even that direction. But the big question I would have, Devin, would that mean would the private secede from the CIF? Because I don't think it's going to be separate, but they're both part of still part of the CIF. Yeah. So, so what would be the point? You think about it. If you think about it, right, we already have the Trinity League. We have the Mission League. Correct. And those are private school leagues uh, that are kind of separate from public school leagues, right? So you look at you look at you look at if they want to go full secession, kind of like what Wyoming and Texas are trying to do with the United States right now. But <laughs> yeah. if they want to secede fully, they wouldn't be able to stay within the CIF umbrella, and therefore they wouldn't be able to play in the Damian tournament. Uh, Modern day wouldn't be able to go play in CDM and win it every year. Um, and play against, you know, CIF sanctioned public school teams. So that would take away a lot of games from those private school teams. Yeah, if you would think that they would form their own teams, form their own leagues. Now it's very interesting in many States, they're already separate. So just to give a rundown. Yeah, go ahead. Is, uh, you know, uh, Texas, you know, taps versus the UIL, New Jersey, Tennessee, New York, which obviously has the public schools and has the Catholic league. Wisconsin and there's there's a few others uh North Carolina but they do play each other you know they you can play each other in a quote-unquote non-league game so very interesting the Sunrise Interscholastic Athletic Association when it has some very good teams West Oaks is always in the in the Fab 50 and uh Central Point Christian and some other good teams um they've had some very good players over the last five or five years or so but it's very interesting, Devin. They went to Cal. They went to the Florida legislature. They, by law, they were granted permission, and it's by a bylaw in the state, not having anything to do with a, a, a section or a state association. They can play each other. So it'd be very interesting to say, like you said, if the public-private split, would they still be on good terms with each other and play each other, or would the privates? somehow get you know support from like legally and be like you can't stop us from playing uh you know west horns high school or you know and then they would obviously set a contract and play but that would be the big fight to me is how 
if they seceded, like you said, would it just be separation of church and state and they never played, never scrimmaged, or would they be open to still playing each other? Or would, I would assume it would be from the private sector, would they say, no, we, we're going to go to our local legislator or our representatives or our senators to, you're going to, we can play us. It's unlawful for you to allow, you know, where are they going with that? Yeah. I, so in those, um, put me up to date with those other states that have separation. Do they have separation in the playoffs? Yeah, they have separation in the playoffs. It's completely separated private schools against private schools and the public schools have their own playoffs. Correct. That's correct. Especially in the good state like North Carolina, Texas, uh, New Jersey, you know, private versus private, you know, and, and public versus public. But they still do play games against each other. They're not on, in other words, what I'm saying is they're not on uh, hostile terms with each other necessarily. I yeah, I don't see that coming down the pike for California, any sort of separation like that. Um, but if if that were to come about and that, that were to be addressed or looked into, I think it would be more along the lines of separate playoffs. And then they can, are, you know, able to like modern day can go play in the Corona Del Mar tournament or, the North South Orange County Challenge and play against, you know, Capistrano Valley or whatever. Yeah. Think about it. If if they were going to go full separate, what would the Nike Extravaganza look like? Yeah. Or because, what would any a lot of what right. would the playoffs look like in any sport? It would be very different. Uh, they'd probably have to say probably should try to iron out their differences. Obviously, I think CIF would have a lot to lose if the privates just left. Like, oh, sure. I know, think so. I think it makes the most sense at the football stage. As opposed to basketball, I think there's more parity in basketball. Uh, football, you have modern day and and St. John Bosco every year in the in the uh, open division championship game or division one, whatever they're calling it these days. So I think maybe separation of of privates and publics makes more sense in football because they have more you know ability to um, attract players. <laughs> if you if you catch my drift, football, you know, with Bosco modern day, they kind of have a uh, really have a stranglehold on that. Well, I would say this. I know two things: the CIF, the state from the state level, obviously trickling down to the sections. They're very keen and very sensitive to issues regarding um, equal opportunity and equal opportunity between the the two genders, gender equity. So it'd be very interesting if they split up try to split up football or not this sport and this sport yet they're very very concerned about that it's one thing on their eye because of our the nature of the politics in california that's just how it works similar to the uh thing i uh mentioned and i broke on the internet uh, about cif not allowing uh teams to host during the june live ncaa period for high school one of the main reasons was because it wasn't a girl's opportunity for the same so that would come into play what would they do would come into play you think obviously privates you think football well football's just a bunch of young men how does that affect the young ladies that go to these schools if they go to these schools so very interesting topic yep that our uh, listeners are, are you know brought that up and wanted to talk about that i do think it, it highlights more of that and um you know the cif has a long uphill road to go back to where they were in late 219 it's going to take a long road just like a lot of other uh factions of society where 
we're, we're moving forward, but a lot of businesses and a lot of things have been hurt, including high school sports. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep you guys updated um, as this is kind of an ever-evolving, ever-changing situation. And Sandy, our guy, Sandy, you know, he's the, uh, he's the, uh, the guy everyone likes to go after on Twitter because of his, his reporting. He just tweeted that the CIF is expected to make it clear that high school is playing games in violation of state health guidelines jeopardize their memberships in all sports. So there could be some repercussions for high school teams playing, um, you know, uh, in opposition to the current state health guidelines. So we're going to keep you guys as updated as you need to be on all things locally and nationally um, with basketball and other sports as they come. Uh, this was a fun show, especially, you know, kind of going nostalgic into the the cards with our guy, Noe Magdaleno. Make sure you check him out at Vices LTD on Twitter, on Instagram, and they got a YouTube channel. And then VicesLTD.com. If you're in the Denver, Colorado area, stop by his, his storefront in Denver. Look it up. Vice, it, the store is called Vices. We appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week to the In the Paint show presented by Ballas Life. Make sure you hit up ballaslife.com, check out our latest content pieces, and hit our shop.ballaslife.com page as well and cop the latest gear from our guy Andy and our guys Gerardo and Kev back in the the warehouse. Uh, But until next week, Ronnie and Devin are signing off.